Welcome to Oh This World. This is a podcast for those inclined to take action. In season one, we identified what each of us can do as individuals to hold our elected officials accountable in the age of coronavirus. Now, with an election approaching, we're focused on the big picture. For the rest of 2020, we will dedicate each month to an urgent issue facing Texas and America. We will interview activists, thinkers, and citizens about how to engage on the biggest challenges facing the country. And we will spotlight a book that tackles each topic head-on. I'm Antoinette Perez. And I'm Lucas Schaefer. We're friends, engaged citizens, and activists here in Austin, Texas. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for This World. Hello and welcome to a Christmas Day recording of This World. I'm Lucas Schaefer here with Antoinette Perez. I guess it's this will you this will not be going up on Christmas. It is not Christmas uh, related per se. No, it's not. But we're recording on Christmas. We're here. We've shown up on Christmas. We planned this for a few days. We knew what Christmas Day was going to look like for each of our families in this pandemic. We did, and there was time to record (laughs) there was an awesome time to record this afternoon after all of the food had been consumed and all of the booze had been drunk that we would be here (laughs) i just made waffles and this is what i wanted to tell you Mm -hmm. is that uh this is a little pandemic fable is that greg and i my husband greg and i got married four years ago and we you know did the like registered for the things mm-hmm. and that did i tell you this i don't know who knows Maybe. registered for all the things and then all the things got here and we said well we're gonna you know probably not be living in this condo we live in now probably mm-hmm. won't be living in here for very long this isn't where we're settling so we we kept everything like boxed because it was like, well, we already have dishes. Do we need? We like these new dishes, but like, you know, whatever. And then at the pandemic, the pandemic rolled around, and we were like, this is ridiculous. So for over three years, you had everything boxed up. Oh, for four years. I mean, not everything. I mean, we there were some things we didn't have wow. boxed up, like you know. Whatever the Dutch oven, but like we had like new dishes. And but the stuff. waffle maker has apparently been boxed. Well, yes. Yeah, so this was the four years after receiving it. This was Christmas Day. Was the inaugural making of the waffles. Mm. And I have mm. to say, we've been missing out for four years. Huge mistake. So I wow. don't know. I'm there's a moral to this story, but I'll let everyone come decide for themselves what it is. Congratulations on um, the, the waffles. You. Christmas Day thank waffles. You. I love it. I love it. Yes. Very good. Um, okay. So we have some thank yous mm-hmm. to our patrons. Nanette Fodell, Karen Griffin, Kyle Burkhart, Penley McQueen, Mary Ward. Thank you for your support on Patreon. If anyone would like to join them, it's patreon.com slash ohthisworld. And you can, um, you know, sign up and you only are paying 
when we record. So if we do what we did. When we record a full episode. Yeah, the bonus episodes are, that's why they're a bonus. That's why they're a bonus. But, uh, you know, if, for example, we say we'll be back next week and then we don't show up until the 2022 midterm elections. <laughs> you're no big deal. you're not charged. No you're big not deal. Charged. You're not charged. Credit card expires, we'll let you know. Patreon will let you know. Um Antoinette, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Lucas. Happy New Year, happy holidays. Yes. Uh we had a quick rage line voicemail. Should we give it a listen? Let's play it right now. Let's play and today we're kind of uh we're talking about various things. Well, a, we're talking about various point. things, and I think this is worth just a 30-second update for listeners. Lucas said to me not long ago, do you know what I miss about season two is that we don't have weekend wrap-ups. We don't have the grab bags. So we decided right. on this you know, last Friday of the year, we would do a grab bag. So we are reaching into the bag, and one of the things that we have found is a recording on the Rage Line just for you. So let's have a listen. Hey, this is Noah calling from Austin. I have the rage line on speed dial now. I hear a lot about how hard it is to register to vote in Texas, but I only recently heard someone point out that voter registration is itself a form of voter suppression. I've never considered this before. Why do we need to register to vote? Why can't we just vote? How can progressives shift the Overton windows so that this idea that voter registration is voter suppression gains traction and we ultimately bring about change? Would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. So why is there voter registration? I mean, I think it's to stop people from voting, right? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it is a, I mean, there are, there are places, there are other states that have same day voter registration, which everyone should have, or yeah, why not? So to play devil's advocate, which I actually uh, don't ever do. I don't do that. I really don't do that. Do you do that? Are you the devil's advocate for other people? No, I don't. Yeah, I, I, don't do I forget either. who first told me this, but you know, you know the line: "The devil already has enough advocates." I always thought that. That's... <laughs> nice. Um, given what we have just been through in this just systematic effort to chip away at our democracy and at faith in our institutions, the institution of voting in particular. I think that there are a lot of unfounded concerns, which maybe is just fake concerns about voter fraud. And and we've talked about that on this podcast before, that voter fraud really is a myth, that there have been many attempts to try to quantify and uh, make it out to be a real news story. And in fact, year over year over year, over many, many, many years, it's never really a thing. Voter fraud is not a thing in the right. United States. Right. So what does that have to do with same-day voter registration? (laughs) All the concerns around not having same-day voter registration, about not having automatic voter registration, all tie back to fake news about voter fraud that doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, I I completely agree. As to what we do about this, oh, caller. Come (laughs) on, caller. It's Christmas. (laughs) Give me a damn break. I don't know. Try to get rid of it. Try to get well, rid of it. Okay, so many of our listeners are in the state of Texas, and there was a bill authored by Representative Celia Israel, I think it was HB 361, last 
legislative session that may mm. get revived again this session mm. that has to do with, I believe, automatic voter registration. I'll go back and double check that. But boy, that seems to ring a lot of bells to me. So what do we do about it? In Texas, we support this. Support we that bill. call our reps. We call elected officials around the state that are on relevant committees. I mean, stay tuned for calls to action on those things. And we push for more access at the polls. We push for greater voting rights than we currently have, especially in Texas. Absolutely. That's what we do. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Antoinette. That was a better answer than... It's Christmas. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, okay, I see on our outline current death count, hospitalization, unemployment numbers because mm -hmm. we really ho ho ho. We did that on every Friday grab bag in our first season. We would just kind of give this update to see whether things looked like they were evening out, flattening out. Uh, things are looking poor. They're looking bad. Um, I mean. The vaccine mm -hmm. is coming, mm -hmm. it seems. In season one, that seemed like it was never going to happen, right? Yeah, but it also seemed, seemed, so far away. It also seemed like 329,798 deaths was yep. kind of unlikely. Or, My recollection it, it, was it, that right around Memorial Day was when we hit 100,000, and here we are well over 300. I think that might have been, was that 100,000 or 50,000? I don't I think know. it was 100. 100,000. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked on, on this show before about how weird it is that we do no memorialization, no mm -hmm. honoring of the dead, mm -hmm. I, you know. I mean, it's uh, not good, not good. But, you know, that's where we are. At year end, we're not in a great place. Here in Austin, I believe that we're about to escalate to stage five again. We're in stage five. We're, we're in, in stage, stage five. Apparently, so we're in the, stage five. That's While I was sipping rosé earlier today, we entered stage five. However, however, because we live in Texas, where Republicans love local control until they don't love it, Mm -hmm. it's completely irrelevant that we're in stage five because the city does not have the mechanism to enforce any restrictions. Mm -hmm. So this is very silly. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, good for the city for saying this is where we are. These are our guidelines. This is what you should do. But my understanding is it's not like the city can say, right? Isn't the city pretty limited in terms of what they can actually do? I mean, no, I would say most cities in Texas can do what they want until they get spanked by the governor, right? So well, if, right, they, but... if they don't take full uh, advantage of whatever powers they hope to have, they'll get blamed later for not stepping in and doing all of the things they should have been doing. So were I an elected official of the city, I would just do whatever I wanted to do. And if I got spanked, I would get spanked, but I would just do it. But I think they've gotten spanked. I yeah. mean, they've... They have gotten spanked and they've also gotten called out for not doing enough, quote unquote, in times when they thought that the state was supposed to be calling the shots. Yeah, Harris but County I don't know if it, this as well. Right, but I don't know. But the people calling them out are, this, are dis, being disingenuous. They're not... I don't think there's anyone in good faith saying, 
oh, the city didn't do this. Although we didn't talk about how the mayor of Austin, oh, tisk tisk, Mayor oh, Adler, we did not. <laughs> went. So for those of you who don't know this, every Thanksgiving, the mayor of Austin did a recording encouraging people to stay home uh, for Thanksgiving. And what came out later was he was actually recording this from Cabo, where he was on vacation with his family. Mm-hmm. Tisk tisk. Um, terrible behavior, inexcusable, but I will say the one thing about this that just strikes me is that Republican elected officials would have you believe that there is no worse trait than hypocrisy. Mm. (laughs) In other words, well, I mean, saying saying the right thing and then sometimes doing the wrong thing to them mm-hmm. is much worse than just consistently and aggressively doing the wrong thing right and it's it is a little bit like i mean i agree inexcusable behavior gives talking points to all sorts of terrible people but you know it it's the, on the other side of the aisle it's just well we're not we may be jerks, but at least we're not hypocrites. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I think we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about some topics that we have spoken of on this show uh, throughout quarantine, throughout the existence of oh, this world. Topics we can't shake going in to 2021. We'll be right back. Antoinette, we're talking about topics we can't <laughs> shake going into 2021. So these are things we've spoken of on this show, mm-hmm. this show that was born in quarantine. Mm-hmm. I'm slowly, wa- I feel like I'm slowly waking up. I am a little bit hungover. I am. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. Um, But, you know, the show must go on, except for when it doesn't, because this is a volunteer (laughs) podcast. We are here for you, Lucas. In the middle of a global pandemic. The show is going um, on. Which is why we were gone for a few weeks, and everyone can suck it up. Um, No one was charged. No one was charged. Um, Okay, Antoinette, I know you had, you, this is, you had a bunch of things to you. I'm trying to shake everything we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have things you can't shake. I'm going to start with this one. You know this, Lucas, personally, as friends, I told you that my family and I are packing up in a few months and we are moving out of TX21. We are moving into TX35, which has a Democratic representative, Lloyd Doggett, in U.S. Congress. Um, it has been quite a quite a thing to consider like what is it going to be like to live in a district that is predominantly blue in many ways on the ground at the local level at the state level i would say that things are turning blue there from the ground up so as a grassroots organizer i'm very interested to experience what life is like when we move there but in the meantime knowing that we've got a few months before we move our family has been pretty deep at times into decluttering. So a couple days ago, I made what has become a two or three time a week run to Goodwill to drop some stuff off. And on the 23rd, I went to Goodwill to drop off some 
fabric from my sewing room. And the way that they have it set up so that everything is touchless is that Goodwill puts bins out on the curb. You drive up in your car and you park close and then you get out and with your mask on, you grab your stuff and you just drop it in these giant bins. And as I dropped my fabric bags into this giant bin, I looked in and what did I see staring back at me? but the cover of a book that a previous person had thrown into the bin to donate. And guess what that book was, Lucas? Wait, you're saying this was someone else's donation? Yes. Like I went up to the blue bin, was about to drop my fabric in, and there were other donations in the bin. And there There was was a book. There was White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo was in the bin, dropped in there by some previous person. And... I had already started outlining today's episode and had already wanted to talk about whatever happened to all those books that everybody bought at the beginning of the summer. Did they read them? Are they talking about them? Is anything really changing? Well, just to be clear, I mean, the, that that a lot of white people bought, right? Mm. Or non-black, non-black people, right? I guess. Presumably. It, well, I mean, that that's when we were, when there was a lot of talk about uh, <laughs> that microphone, microphone is really bad on you today, it's on Lucas. A bad, it's on a bad thing. But, um, <sighs> you know, w- when we were talking about who seems to be rushing out to buy these books, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There was talk at the time, and there was an article we posted to last week, and there was some more we'll put in the episode notes, sort of white, white people, white women mm-hmm. by, buying these books. And were they actually reading them? Mm-hmm. Were they actually absorbing them? Was this sort of a performative... Okay, so Lucas is referring to this uh, this article. The title is How Long Do We Wait for White Women to Learn? And it's from Bitch Media, right? Is that the one we're referring to? That's that's one of a couple. One of that, a couple, okay. Yeah. Well, that's one that I reread in preparation for today, and especially after seeing that copy of White Fragility tossed into the goodwill bin, just discarded. And, you know, we are all storytellers, right? So the first story that had come to mind just summoned itself in my head was a story that there was a white person out there for whom a well-intentioned friend had purchased that copy and given it to them unrequested. They just ended up getting it. It was a paperback copy, and I think it had, um, you know, one of the, I don't know, awards or some designation on the front cover. So it was not a first run edition of White Fragility. It looked like one that had been bought this summer. Um, In my mind, I quickly made up a story that it was a white person who had received the book from a friend and just didn't get into it, couldn't get into it, couldn't get past the first couple of chapters. Um, Or bought bought it themselves. I mean, or maybe, but that wasn't the first story that came to mind, right? right? So the first one was someone else had bought it for them and they didn't ask for it and then they were getting rid of it. But when you look at this, uh, you know, how long do we wait for white women to learn story? Mm -hmm. um, You know, it just kind of points out that we still have a majority of white women that are voting for or that in this last election voted for Trump. And where are all of these white women that are buying these books and are they reading them and why do we continue to circle back over and over and over again to calls for civility 
Um, I think the author of this article mentioned that leading up to the election, they had noticed in their own Facebook feed and social media feeds that white women in particular were putting out a lot of calls for people to just be friends with everyone, regardless of their political affiliation. And, you know, our, our work is to get along with everybody and to be tolerant of everybody's point of view. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that uh, that image of the the white fragility in the goodwill bin is one that sticks with me, and I think what, yeah. uh, you know to your point earlier in in the first season where you know we've talked a lot about civility. What is the role of civility? Why is it that we look to the comfort of civility all the time? It's because mm-hmm. when we talk about civility, we get out of having the difficult conversations about race and our role in racial problems that exist today. Yeah. I mean, agreed. I I would point out the author of that story is Catherine Morgan, who also wrote the article we linked to last week about um, book book sales of of these anti-racism books. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing. But just want to get the name in. Want to get the name in. Um, You know, it's I just have you read um, Just Us by Claudia Rankin? No. Um, I just read this. It's sort of about um, whiteness and uh, expl- it's a sort of hybrid collection of essays, some poetry. Um, but one thing she points out is that, uh, and I wish I had it in front of me because she said this better than I'm going to mangle how she said it. But basically the idea was it's, it's interesting that the – Obama elections were seen as white people kind of coming along, making progress, et cetera, because in both of those elections, the majority of white people still voted against Obama. Mm. Um, so I don't, you know, just some of it is, oh, is there hypocrisy which obviously there is but some of it i think is also just you know uh people who were in you know in the bad place before and are still in the bad place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah i mean yeah clearly there was this like frenzy to buy these books and you hope that people have read them and absorbed them and thought about them. I'm sure some have mm-hmm. listeners of our, of this world book club may or may not have may or may not have. We, yeah. we did. Um, but worth commenting on thinking about analyzing. So that stuck with you. What else has stuck with you? Well, I, I would also say that for any listeners right now who did start down the path of the books and maybe you read some of it or all of all of the books, if you're not talking with other people about them, I'm not sure that they're doing as much. They're not offering as much help as they could be. Um, I think it is well, in having yeah. those conversations that real change gets to happen. We we get to challenge the way that we're thinking and the way that we're being in the world when it comes to anti-racism work or not. Um, you're so, assuming people read the books, though. So what I which, said was, right. if you've read a little bit or all of it, and you are not currently talking to other people about it, I would encourage you to talk with other people about the books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't read them, I mean, what, what does that what does that mean? 
What does that mean? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm wondering about that book, that perfect looking paper book, pa- paperback copy of White Fragility sitting in the Goodwill bin. And I'm wondering how many more there are. I should have asked the man that was working there if he sees that book and others like it often. That would be an interesting little anecdote to have. Yeah. I mean, I think the the, the broader issue also is just that, you know, that this is... <laughs> You can buy the book, you can read the book, you can buy the book, you cannot read the book, but, you know, the systemic issues outlined in the book, the white supremacy outlined in the book, etc., are not only here when there's a story in the news that you are reading mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. you fellow white listener, whatever. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... Uh, yes, so, uh, all of the all of the the articles on this I think are are very worth reading. We'll we'll post them up in the episode yeah. notes. All of those articles um, do point to I think what what you and I both know, which is oftentimes people are uncomfortable. We can be uncomfortable having conversations about race and our complicity in racial problems in the world uh, because we don't know how to have the conversations. And part of the fear of having the conversation is a fear of making a mistake and getting called out for it. So it kind of led me to a second piece of topics that I can't get off of my mind that we've talked about here in the podcast, which is in the first season, we asked activists all the time like call your people in Mm -hmm. and by calling people in we said you know this is a time for us to not call people out to publicly shame them per se but to grab the people that are kind of close to us in our spheres and to pull them in close when we see things that maybe we have questions about or things that aren't going very well Mm -hmm. and to have open conversations where we are helping to educate them helping to share what we have learned and what our experiences have been to to do our part on a personal level, um, to not just lobby for change at the systemic level, but also to affect change on a one-to-one basis. Mm-hmm. And um, so it led to this other article that you and I had shared a couple of months ago. This is in the New York Times, and um, this is called what if instead of calling people out we called them in and this is by jessica bennett new york times november 19th um i don't know if you've had a chance to re-look at this lucas because i sent it to you back in november and i read it at the time i've not reread it yeah do you do you have any feelings about calling out versus calling in and i know that you've joked before in season one about how calling out is your preferred method do you ever call people in have you have you recently and what have you called people in about (sighs) calling in calling out Mm -hmm. um do i call people in probably not in any way that i should i mean Mm -hmm. uh that's a good question i don't know if i'd call that many people out either i mean most of the calling in and calling out that happens happens just on this podcast Mm. right (laughs) you do a lot of calling out on twitter that's what you referred to in the first season when you said calling out was your preferred method of of confrontation Uh, well yeah although really with for for me personally that's with elected officials yes it's not really uh you know when someone to especially if it's someone i don't know Mm -hmm. is saying something intemperate 
I don't know if I'm necessarily calling. I mean, I if the, if it's truly, um, certainly if it's someone I know, yes, mm-hmm. calling out. Um, uh, but you know, in in general, I would say the calling out that I do is happening more in in the political mm-hmm. sphere, like the electoral mm-hmm. electoral sphere. Um, I mean, I feel a little bit like outside of this, not outside of the conversation, but just like. I I like the idea of calling in instead of calling out. I also think the repercussions to being called out are like pretty overblown. <laughs> are you talking about when we start to translate calling out into cancel culture? Yeah. 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 Like I kind of don't really believe that cancel culture is like much of a thing. Like mm-hmm. some somehow all of the people who are most called out seem I seem to continue to hear from them. In fact, just the other day I was listening to just because I'm like a glutton for punishment and a masochist was listening just for a couple minutes to um Andrew Sullivan's new podcast, who's, you know, loves to loves a good rant about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was just thinking for being canceled, I hear from you a <laughs> whole hell of a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know what the thing is for me? I think, you know, when I was, we've talked a bit before about my life as a professional homosexual when mm-hmm. I was in the LGBTQI nonprofit space. Mm-hmm. I am no longer in that space, but when I was in that space, and, you know, this was more 2004, 2005, 2006, and at the time, the whole kind of ethos was reaching out to people who the the work i was doing specifically kind of being in communities that are a little more homophobic or perceived to be a little more homophobic and reaching out and having conversations da, 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 da. and i th- you know it it has changed somewhat to more of an attitude of like um well wh- why why is it my job to educate someone mm-hmm. and uh, here i'll just talk about um gay stuff queer stuff mm-hmm. uh you know i i mean there's a there's a race version of this as well but i'm just speaking from personal experience here you know i think the 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 thing now is a little more like well it's not my job to educate people Mm. um which i completely understand but i i do think if you're someone who um because of your experience or your temperament or whatever are up for doing that work Mm -hmm. it's still really important work to be done, even if right. it's kind of not, you know, it's not mm-hmm. really where kind of certainly like the Twitter culture is right now. Um, obviously, that is not necessarily representative of that much, but I do think it's underrated work. Calling in? Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, a. I mean, I, I, I know from that job those jobs specifically or that job specifically i mean it is a little bit of a slog so here's the deal though i think you've brought up an interesting distinction when you are a person who is suffering from an oppression and are trying to educate other people on your own oppression that's an emotional labor that you really don't necessarily have the energy to offer anyway. If you love somebody and they're close to you and you need to give them that education, you can certainly choose to offer that up. 
I think some of the challenges that we have seen since George Floyd in particular have been that black people, many of them, have been called on by their white friends to educate them. Yes. Right. right? right. And, and so that's not so much a calling in of the white people to that black person as it is that black person taking on the additional labor of educating them at their request. And this right. is why, you know, we said back then, if you are a non-black person and you need education, check Google, find those black Call authors, Call thinkers, scholars. <laughs> yes. Do all of those things and educate yourself first, right? Um, but on the flip side, I'm also thinking about calling in when it comes to populations of people who aren't being oppressed, aren't suffering those levels of oppression and, and need to call in their people and help educate them on issues for which they are both equally non-oppressed. This mm -hmm. is the type of labor and the type of work that I think lots of people are capable of doing and ought to be doing right now. And it's that avoidance of a no. difficult conversation or saying something wrong in the conversation and getting called out that they they avoid that level of yeah. hey let me let me fill you in on how this actually works i feel like right now one of the things i've been tracking really carefully in my own neighborhood is uh, the neighborhood discussion board listserv whatever has been aflame in the past couple of days around the phrase defund police and right. there are a lot of a lot of white folks in my neighborhood that are saying, you know, we we have done more damage to liberal values by promoting this <sighs> phrase. Oh, God. And this is it's been interesting for me to watch white folks in the neighborhood calling in other white folks to say, if your life is not at stake because of the police issues that we've been talking about and you have an issue with this phrase, you need to educate yourself on what the phrase means and how they're using it and why it affects black folks before you go around telling black folks what they should and shouldn't be saying. This also, can I just say about this, mm. that because this is something that continues to stick in my damn craw. <laughs> um, I... I just, it, my gut take on this is I just think it is a fantasy that people have that, oh, if we just hadn't used this slogan, if we hadn't done this message or that message, mm -hmm. this or that election would have gone differently. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just don't think, this is part of why I harp on gerrymandering so much, because it's, you know, I think a lot of times more conservative people who are ostensibly on the Democratic side of the aisle mm -hmm. just use any loss to just say, oh, well, if you'd only been more conservative, this wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see a lot of evidence that, um, the, I mean, the city that has actually done some of the most moving around of police money is Austin, Texas, which Travis County went for Biden by 45 points. I mean, <laughs> you know, now, true, a sort of Trumpy Trumpster did get elected to the city council, but that's one person out of, it's 10 to 1. I mean, at some point, I think it's, I, I just think the, I just think it's easy to say, oh, well, this, this slogan cost us this, that, and the other thing, when I will say, I, I don't think that's what people were really talking about in this election. 
just personally i do think i mean i i think from my point of view in austin i think the the um more uh effective kind of right-wing talking points had to do with homelessness because of the fact that we can actually see now that there's no camping ban which you and i both think is a good thing that that is the the camping ban is gone but you see homelessness in a way you didn't Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. and so i think republicans were able to capitalize on that and the rest of us need to more effectively communicate both why this is a good thing what needs to be done in the future what why the old way actually wasn't working i mean i think that there's work to be done on those things but with defund the police it's not there wasn't a crime increase in austin after this money was moved around and none of it's even taken effect so i I don't know i just i think this is all a lot of ways of saying we don't want change and we're going to come up with a million different things um but you know gerrymandering is gerrymandering and i think that my perspective on that is that there are people who have professed some of the same values that you and i do that also don't want even the change in language and and as much as they want to point at defund the police as the reason why races got lost and whatever i think deep down they still don't feel comfortable with it because they're not fully educated and they're not going to Austin Justice Coalition meetings and uh, Communities of Color United meetings. And they're not reading what other people have put out there to get comfortable. They're not comfortable being led by people of color. I, I really feel like that's I that's think that's tr- I think that's true. But and I but I also just think I, I think that's true. And not but I think that is true. And um, I think that that when you focusing on the messaging is a way of not engaging with the substance. And yes, I, I don't hear any of these people saying aside from the slogan, which we understand you don't like, these are the things I do like. These are the things I don't like. It's, it's just a way of shutting down the conversation. So yes, yes, that is, that is that. Should we cope with our tizzies in a second? Should think, we cope with our tizzies? I think we're about ready to cope with our tizzies. Okay. That, okay. Good little section there. Coping with our tizzies, what we have been doing this year to not completely lose our minds if we haven't already yeah and and we have to throw back to season one because it was in season one we were focused on the pandemic we were recording you and i three or four times a week yeah and we were reading the news and obsessed with the news and commenting on the news and then friday we would share all of those things that were helping us to this is why i sound tired right now yeah um okay so this is like our year end is this our year end year? It's our year-end cope. I don't know what it is. Lucas, what is on your list? Okay, so this is this is best of the year, coping with yeah, our tizzies. Yeah, I think, what we, you know, yeah. What we listened to, what there. we watched, all of those things. Your, or just your favorites, the, the highlights, the standouts of the year. Okay, well, I'm going to stand by something I said at the very beginning of quarantine, which is Greg and I got the Criterion Channel, mm-hmm. which has proved to be a fountain of 
interesting, bizarre, unusual things we had not seen before. I believe the first film we watched was Stop Making Sense, the David Byrne, the Talking Heads concert mm. movie, um, which, fantastic. Um, and we have just had a good run. Um, they have sort of themes each month. Are you a Criterion person? No. No. Yeah, they have themes each month. Um, so these are these are restored, you know, classic movies. Although classic movies that run up until 2019. I mean, they. Mm-hmm. It. I think it started as really old movies that they would, you know, remaster or whatever, and mm-hmm. put out with um, commentary and all of that stuff. But at this point, it's you know they they have American and international movies. Um, up, up through the current. Um, and it's a streaming service now. That's the Criterion Channel. So that has been a good one for us. Um, I have some others, but what... Get us get us going. Keep okay. us going. Okay. Let me give you one. I don't think that I mentioned this because I think I watched it somewhere between the first and the second season, maybe during the second season. You know that as much as you love Criterion, I'm a fan of HBO. I really like... A lot of the series and movies and offerings that they have. And one new one that I binge watched, and I think I'm going to go back and binge watch again before the new year, is a um, it's a series called I May Destroy You. Do you know anything about this? I do. I I had a a moment of horror where you thought you were going to rewatch The Undoing and I was going to have to like walk (laughs) off the set and be done. (laughs) <laughs> the Undoing. I don't think you and I have talked about that. Have Did we? Did you not watch The Undoing? With no, Nicole not Kaker? yet. It's on yeah. our list. It's on. Okay. It's on. Yeah. No. Um. I may destroy you. Was yes, one so. where just on title alone, I yes. felt like it was made for me. Yes. Um, have you watched it, Lucas? I have not watched it. That is on our list. That is on our list. I've I've seen the trailer for it, and it looks great. I've heard great things about it. But it's so good. It. it is so so good, and it's uh, UK based, and it's very millennial, which is not my generation, which is even more fascinating to me that perspective. Um, but I will give the caveat that if you haven't watched it yet and you're thinking about it, it's it's pretty. The content's heavy. It's very very heavy. I think it probably should come with trigger warnings. Um, I found it to be a mind bender and a heart bender, and um, it was great, great, great watching for the eight or ten episodes that it ran. I was engrossed completely, and I loved it. Not for everyone, but it might be for you. Um, I'm going to check that out. I also wanted to say for my year end, so, yes. and we've talked a lot about this, because at the beginning of quarantine, I fell into a reading rut. Hmm. I remember that. And remember the book that got me out of the, where I was like starting Wasn't books. Wasn't it an audio book that got you out of the rut? Okay. So one, one thing that helped get me out of the rut was listening to Big Wonderful Thing yes. uh, by Stephen Harrigan, The yes. History of Texas, which is read by George Guidall, who's got mm-hmm. a great, he's like, this is like one of the best audio I'm not a huge audiobook person, but but Greg, Greg is, and he, he is one of the, the great readers. But then the other book that really got me out of the rut was Nemesis by Philip mm-hmm. Roth, mm-hmm. which is about a pandemic, mm-hmm. a pandemic. Um, and it was short. I needed like a short book to get me out of the rut. But then in the second half of quarantine, I have had a run of page turners that have just kept me 
Um, kept me going. A few I would mention, Antoinette. Mm-hmm. You ready? Ready. Um, Vanishing Half. Did you read Vanishing Half by Britt mm-hmm. Bennett? No. So good. Did you Page read, Turner, huh? Did you read Page Turner? Leave the World Behind, the Ruman Alam book. Page no. Turner. No. Um, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Page Turner. My goodness. Um, Heaven, My Home, uh, Heaven, My Home, and Bluebird, Bluebird, which are uh, mysteries set in East Texas by Attica Locke, Page Turners. And then I had a couple that weren't, I wouldn't call them Page Turners, but um, The Last Taxi Driver by Lee Durkee. Mm-hmm hilarious have you read that have you read i'm gonna lend you my copy because you're gonna enjoy that um it's just about a cab driver driving around mississippi and it's um really fantastic and um homeland elegies by ayad Akhtar, which not a page turner but well i shouldn't say not a page by page turner i just mean like something where the plot is so propulsive that you're Mm -hmm. like i need to know what happens next Mm -hmm. those last two are not that they're not plot driven in the same way, but it was a good that was a good run of uh over the summer and into the fall, just some ones where I really those were the books I read this year where I could really just be like, this is what I'm this is what I'm doing. That is awesome. I think so I those are a few that I, I think you recommend. passed your rut on to me from the summer because that's about when I stopped feeling the need to read at least books. I mean, I read articles and news. I think it was just also a good way of not being on my phone or computer Mm. because I don't really do the e-reader thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty exclusively an e-reader, as you know. I know. I'm a Kindle Um, person myself. Okay, you have anything more for us? I mean, honestly, my great big pandemic diversion, the one thing that has probably kept me from tipping over the edge multiple times is the Nintendo game Animal Crossing New Horizons. I started playing it here like I talked about it, right? Yes. Uh, I have not stopped and I have explored multiple ways of gaming in, out, around Animal Crossing it's fascinating. Well, it and we need to ride. put in a plug here for yeah. cross po- po- podcast oh, crossover. Yes, um, Tiny Island Diary, yes. which is Antoinette's Animal Crossing podcast. Yes, which I started about the time that I stopped reading so much. I don't know if the two are related, but and I, I have never never done. We did an entire show about Animal Crossing, and I still don't understand what it is. I'll just be honest, but it sounds great. <laughs> And you've had good guests. You've had you've had good guests on on the program. It has been a gas. The uh, Tiny Island Diary podcast is all interview based, and so every week for that first season, I don't know, was it eleven interviews that I did with eleven different players with eleven different perspectives on the game? It was really fun. So Animal Crossing has been like one of the best ways for me to cope with my pandemic tizzies. Okay, so those are some ways to cope with your tizzies. We'll put. I got so into doing the episode notes at the beginning of the pandemic, and now every time I sit down to do them, I'm like, they're like a lot of work sometimes. You did some um, tremendous amount of work. Yeah, was... some some were big ones, but we'll put we'll put the highlights down on um, the episode notes. We have one more episode um, 
about Good Citizens that's going to come in the next couple weeks um, Mm -hmm. before we take our break going into season three. Uh, You can call us on the Rage line, 702-907-RAGE, 702-907-RAGE. Anything we talked about today, anything we've talked about on the show, leave it there as a message. We'll play it on the air. Oh, This World Pod on Instagram, on Twitter, at Gmail, Patreon, anything else that's subscribe, do the do the things. No one's subscribe. Listening. Is anyone Rage. still is anyone still there? <laughs> is it, this is the part it gets to this in any other podcast and I'm out. I'm I done. know, so. right? We're almost out, Lucas, I promise. We are still lining up that interview for good citizens, but it's holiday season, so stay tuned. Yeah, it's with gonna... all good luck we will have that out before long and then before you know it, we'll take a quick break and regroup for season three. But one more episode in season two is what we're looking at. So thanks for listening. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, Lucas. See you soon. Bye. Happy holidays. Bye.